<clears throat> excuse me. So today, like I mentioned, we're going to be starting this new sermon series, uh, going through this tiny little book here called Titus, three short chapters, and um, like literally, like in my Bible, it's literally one page. Like, can you see this here? It's like one page. So we're going to spend three three weeks going through one page of of your Bible today. And and really, my my hope and my desire of spending three weeks looking at one page of your Bible kind of springboards out of what we've been talking a lot about over the last several months in a lot of the Bible verses and the passages and the series that we've been doing. It's this idea that what we believe about God really should be changing how we live. What we believe about God should really have an impact on how we live our lives. Now, just as we kind of set the stage a little bit for this series, like show of hands, this is a little bit of like confess your sins to one another time. We're not going to go deep or dark into your sins this morning, but uh, we'll see how many hands you know, are raised. How many of you know something about God, and if you're honest, you don't always live that out? Right? Okay. It's like should be everybody, Right? It's this whole idea, we know that God wants us to be generous, but there are just some days I don't want to be generous. Like, there are days when it it knows, like when the Bible says that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I like my neighbors, but I don't, like, love them like the way I love me, because I love me a lot. And I do a lot of things to really make sure that I'm well cared for. And I don't spend that much time making sure my neighbor is that well cared for, right? So we know we're supposed to be loving to our neighbors, but it's easy to ignore them after a busy day at work and just pull right into the garage and hope he doesn't see me, things like that, right? We know we're supposed to be merciful, but my goodness, do I ever want justice? And I want someone who hurt me to suffer hard. In fact, I kind of like the eye for the eye, tooth for the tooth kind of verses in the Old Testament. Though if someone wounds me, I feel like I've got permission to wound back. (laughs) Right? All of these things that we know about God. And here's the thing. It's normal. Right? It's the human condition. It's it's the flesh. It's, It's the sinful nature. It's all of these things that are in us that we know these things about God. We know the call that he has on our lives as followers of Jesus, and we don't do it. That's normal. But here's the problem. The church is not supposed to be normal. The church is supposed to be supernaturally empowered by God to overcome the normalcy of humanity. Think about that. The church has been supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of God to overcome what is very natural in our human nature. That's, again, one of these miracles of God. That is not us who do it in our own humanity, in our own religious traditions, or our laws and regulations. But it's God through his children that causes us to live very, very differently. And the more we learn about God, the more of his truth that we accept, it changes us. So that's what Titus shows us in just one tiny little page of your Bible. Because it shows us what church should look like. 
right? So in this letter, just a little bit of an introduction to the letter if you're not familiar with it, right? So Paul, in this letter, it's written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Titus. And now Titus is a young pastor, and he was left on the island of Crete. Now Crete is one of the largest, most populated islands in Greece. And he's left there with the charge of running the church, (laughs) And we get the implication, like back in these days, like the pastor just didn't kind of pastor one small little church of 30 people in a community. You see this charge to Titus to go and find leaders and other people all throughout the city. Right? So these pastors are not kind of like the way we think of kind of small church, local pastor. Like they've got this bigger role that they're playing, like they're pastoring their cities. Like they're pastoring this whole region. And then this is given to just this young guy to go and do it. Right? And so in Paul, in this short one-page letter, uh, he emphasizes God's grace and God's love. And how this grace and love of God really prompts uh, the people of God to live godly lives, empowered by the Spirit of God. Right? We learn that Titus, again, as this young pastor, is... Um, not Jewish. And that's radical in this period of church history. Most of the leaders in the early church came from a Jewish tradition. And we learned that Titus is not Jewish. In fact, just to get a little bit graphic this morning, so you families have some fun things to talk about with your kids today, he's uncircumcised. And I'll let you parents describe what that means. Okay? But he's an uncircumcised, non-Jewish leader in the church which causes a lot of problems for the religious Jewish people who were still living by very, very strict rules and strict commandments to have nothing to do with the uncircumcised. So now you've got these Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus. You've got the Apostle Paul who's appointing leaders over these Jewish Christians. And they're going, but I'm not supposed to have anything to do with this leader. I shouldn't go into his home. I shouldn't touch him. I shouldn't share a meal with him because he's uncircumcised. Can you kind of see? This is why I love Paul. Paul's a wall pusher. Right? Whenever you feel like the church should be in a box, read Paul. Paul has no interest in keeping the Holy Spirit and keeping God in any kind of box. And so there's this tension immediately that Titus faces as a young pastor, as a young leader in the church. And again, and you can kind of see this. We learn these things about Titus in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. You can learn about that there. And then again, but this really shows Paul's heart for the church that we read about in Galatians chapter 3, that there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female Paul is pushing these walls to change how we're thinking about things, right? And so then Paul, again, to reach out to this young pastor, this young leader who's dealing with all this stuff in his church, kind of there's the big theme of false teaching, which comes up in almost every single one of Paul's writings, because it's just this constant thing, again, in that human nature, where lies are easier to believe than truth. Or maybe it's this, that we just prefer the lie. 
We prefer the God in our image. We prefer to say that our sin is not sin. We prefer to say we'd rather live this way. So we'd rather go back to our false teaching, our false idols. And so again and again and again, Paul's got to address this and equip leaders in this sound doctrine. So we'll talk about that in this series too. But Paul starts this letter off that we're going to read today talking about Christian leaders and talking about recruiting leaders to the work of God. And so let me read here. I'm going to read the entirety of um, chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. You can use the Version Bible app. Or if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, please, when you leave today, there's paper Bibles in the back of the room. Please grab one of those as our gift to you. And if you're joining us at Greenbelt Online and you don't own a paper Bible and you'd like one, email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and we'll send a paper Bible to you. I'm a big believer. Every family should own a Bible. So let me read again. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll break this up and we'll see how this plays out in the life of the church and more importantly, kind of in our lives as well. So Titus 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our savior. One of the things I love about Paul is Paul really loves run on sentences. You know, he really does. He just kind of, he's just got this way with words. So he just has a lot to say. What's he saying in here? He's affirming who he is. He's affirming his call as an apostle and he's affirming this mission to building up the church. Some translations call it the elect, the saints, the people of God, the children of God, so that they will grow in their knowledge, which leads to godliness. Again, Paul's mission as well as our mission is your knowledge should change your life, should change how you live. This knowledge leads to godliness. So this is kind of what he's talking about here. In the first few verses, then it continues. So he's writing to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. As I directed you, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And one of Crete's own prophets had said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith 
and will pay no attention to Jewish myth or merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Again, so Paul starts this letter off, you know, kind of in a funny spot, right? When you're talking about kind of life of the church, (laughs) kind of God's grace and how God's grace impacts how the church lives. He starts with this reminder to Titus, um, I need you to go around and appoint elders, he says this here, like you, you need to go in every town. So again, Crete is the largest island in Greece. It's the most populated island in Greece. I think it's the fourth uh, most populated island in all the Mediterranean. And Titus, this one guy, uncircumcised, non-Jewish believer in God, is kind of being told, go from town to town to town to town to town all throughout this island and find elders. Now, what's fascinating when we get into this topic here of Titus, you know, chapter one, is we can get very derailed. And we get very, very derailed on, well, who's allowed to be a leader in this context? And that's teaching for another time. And we'll talk about that one day. And if you're curious, I've done YouTube videos on this topic for a couple of years ago. Search it on YouTube, on our YouTube page, find our teaching on church leadership, because there's controversy here and there's tension, and I get this. But we're not going to be focusing on the who today. We're going to be focusing on the how, the lifestyle that's being described here. Paul is calling out a very particular style of living in order to be appointed what he calls an elder here. Now, again, the, real, the reason why this gets so challenging and controversial is because how we use the English and how the, Paul writes in the Greek, there's different words. Like sometimes he uses episkopos, other times he uses presbyteros, and, and it's like which one means what, and then so we got to kind of get into it and argue and figure this out because it's two different words, and we say in English it's the same thing, but are they really the same thing? Are they different? Again, we're not going to f- fight and argue about that today. I want you to look at these lists of lifestyle that Paul highlights here in this first chapter. Talks about being blameless. What does that mean, to be blameless? Does it just mean you just walk around your life going, not my fault, I didn't do it, it wasn't me, I didn't do it, you can't blame me, it's my mother's fault, she didn't raise me right, you know, all these things, right? Is that what blameless means? No, thank you. (laughs) It means that your walk with God is open and transparent. That your public life is exactly the same as your private life. That there's no difference between those two things. Who you are on Sunday morning is exactly who you are on Monday afternoon in the office. There's no difference. To be blameless. He talks about being faithful. What does faithful mean? means that I trust God. I trust God more than anything else. 
more than my RRSPs and my investment fund, more than how much uh, interest is on my portfolio right now, and all of these kind of things that we can be stressing about. I'm going to be faithful to God. Talks about you know having kids that aren't wild. Talks about a good character. Talks about not being a drunkard. Not being violent. About being hospitable. That you love people and that your life is open to people. He talks about love what is good. Talks about being self-controlled. It's one of the fruit of the spirits, right? That we read about that we're self-controlled people. Like there's this self-control. You don't just fly off the handle, freak out, yell, flip tables wherever you go. Well, flipping tables is good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. And I do it weekly. (laughs) There's self-control here. There's discipline. And think of that list for a moment as a lifestyle. Think more. Who cares about the who? Think about the how. Think about the how. Think of those words for a moment in these verses. Now, let me ask you this. Are church elders the only people in the church who should look like this? No! Right? The church should be absolutely crawling, busting out of the seams of men and women who look exactly like this. You know, we talk about this a lot as the church, that it's so hard to find leaders. Oh my goodness, it's so hard to find elders, it's so hard to find deacons, it's so hard to find life group leaders and fusion leaders and kids leaders, so hard to find leaders. It's not hard to find them. They're everywhere. It's hard to get you to do it. Yeah, that's, too, that's another sermon for another time, okay? <laughs> you should be able to look out at the room And I got how many people? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, I'm not going to count you all, okay? But if we are all following the Spirit of God, the teachings of God's Word, letting the Holy Spirit actually change how we live, I should be able to easily find 54 leaders. It's not just a call for the elder to live this way, right? In fact, the call of the elder is to be the example. Call the elders to be the example. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Okay. So the big idea that I want us to unpack in this first week as we go through this letter is that everyone in the church, not just the leaders, are called to holy living. Everyone in the church, not just the leaders, are called to holy living, to live this kind of way. So let's look at this a little bit more detail again. Let those lifestyle words that Paul says to Titus. Titus is saying, look for these leaders. Look for these people in every single town. Find people who look like this. How does this play out in the life of the church? How does this play out in my life? How does this play out in your life? So that we can truly um, live the way God calls us to live. And so the first thing that we see... You know, through this passage and a lot of Paul's teaching as well in the New Testament, is again, I just said it, is that leaders are called to set the example. Leaders are called to set the example. Why is Titus going from town to town looking for these kind of people? Well, think for a moment 
in, if you've been a Christian for a long time, think of the leaders that have come into your life over the entire time that you have been following God. Who are the leaders who have helped you grow the most spiritually? Were they drunkards? Violent? <laughs> Running off the handle all the time? Were they living wildly? <laughs> no. Why not? Because they're a train wreck. <laughs> Were they leaders that kind of just went off on these rails and went on these tangents, had these little hobby horses, and they kind of just spoke every single Sunday about food law and how every single Christian needs to be a vegan? Now, I have no problem if you're a vegan. God bless you. God bless you. No, I have no problem with that. But God made pigs who eat garbage and make bacon. Like, God's got to be a God of mercy and grace somehow, and something that can eat garbage can make bacon. I don't know how that works, okay? But when we're stuck on these things and these myths and all these different things that have nothing to do with nothing, do you grow spiritually in that? Of course not. That's why character matters. Lifestyle matters. It's the example to follow. In First Peter, Peter talks about this as well, calling leaders. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being an example to the flock. Right? So sure, like there's this special call on leaders to be this example. But again, as I joked earlier, these leaders should be very easy to spot. Because they're already living this way. They're already blessing people. They're already generous. They already serve. They already care for people. Like they're doing this already. Right. And, and something that just personally, like my wife, Danielle and I, like we have really come to, um, I don't even know the word for this, but to really wrestle with and, and embrace the call of example. And I don't know if it's just because I'm getting a little older. I think when I was a younger pastor, when I was in my late 30s, early 40s, I kind of wanted to fight a lot. I liked fighting. I liked wrestling, like arm wrestling with people over theology. And if you didn't have the same theology as me on certain issues, uh, then I, we can't be friends. <laughs> but Danielle and I have come to see how God moves in this type of scenario where God says, be the example of a flock. Like we actually call it a ripple effect. When God changes our lives, when God does something in us spiritually, opening our eyes to something, some kind of renewal, some kind of change. It never stops with us. It ripples out. It touches you guys and gals. And then it touches the people that you touch. And then it touches the people that they touch. I had a mentor of mine who's been a Christian leader for like ever, longer than I'd been alive. And, and, and we were talking with him once. There was a, a few of us together. We were having lunch with him. And it was at a time when 
Um, like there was this, this was even before the pandemic, and this was a time there was a lot of tension in the church, a lot of fighting that was going on, and, and there were like the worship wars were coming back a few years ago. I was like, oh, really, we're fighting about music again? Didn't we solve this in the eighties? Like it's like this is still a thing, and and all this tension of which Bible version we're using, and so we were asking this mentor friend of mine. It's like it's like have you ever wanted to just like kind of give up, and just not be that example anymore? What does that look like? Has that ever happened to you? And he said, oh, absolutely. And he said, well, how did you fight against that? He said, I look behind me. And I see all the men and women who are following. And the ripple effect of my lifestyle. And for their sake and their benefit, I press on. That's the call. And that's not just the call for the elders. That's your call. As a follower of Jesus, press on. Find good godly examples who are pressing on. (laughs) What is it about their lifestyle that you see that encourages you to press on in your faith, in whatever is being thrown at you at school, at work, in ministry, whatever it is? (laughs) So you may not be an elder, (laughs) but this call of these characters, you see the examples around you, And it's your call as well. It's your call as well. So that's the first thing. So these leaders, they set an example. The other key thing that we see about these leaders here is this idea of pursuing good teaching. Pursuing good teaching. In verse 9, when it talks about these elders, it says, So he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, so now this is a, a buzzword here. This is, it's a loaded word, too. Sound doctrine. What does that mean? Right, sound doctrine refers to instruction that is consistent with the gospel message and the teaching of the apostles. That is the definition, the official definition of sound doctrine. Right, it's a theme throughout all of Paul's writings, especially in the pastoral letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, where he's writing to young pastors. Instruction that is consistent with the gospel message and the teaching of the apostles. And again, this is why this sound doctrine can be such a tension point in the life of the church, because what if two Holy Spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians come to a different interpretation of a verse? Is one of them not sound doctrine and the other one is? Does God love one church and not the other? Is the Holy Spirit in one church and not the other? Nope. Why don't we agree? I don't know. I don't. I've had people ask me this all the time in all the years I've been passing. Why don't we agree on this verse? Because we didn't live in that culture. We don't fully understand that language, even though we like to think we do. Like, there's some words in here that Paul uses that he only uses once in the entirety of the New Testament. He uses it once. So you can't even cross-reference it to double-check Paul's meaning of it. We we don't know. We don't know. (laughs) Right? So there's this tension. But when it comes to sound doctrine, it's the purity of the gospel. That there is one God, maker of heaven and earth, who created all things. That he created mankind in his image. 
and that by man's rebellious, sinful nature, they chose sin to be disobedient to God. And then that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that Jesus ascended back into heaven and he is speaking on behalf of believers in the throne room of God. That he sent the Holy Spirit to empower and equip the church. And that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Those are the seven things I'll die for. That's about it. Modes of baptism, modes of communion, men and women issues, all the style of music. I'm not dying for any of that stuff. None of it. Not happening. (laughs) That's sound doctrine, right? And so we look to leaders that guard that. And again, why? Because they're the example. Why? So that you guard it. (laughs) So that it becomes a part of your life. Two, you, follower of Jesus, should be able to recognize bad teaching. You don't need a master's degree. Like I've, I've heard people say, oh, the Bible's got all these great mysteries and no one can understand it. And you need to hear from this certain pastor because they get insights from God that no one else gets. If you hear someone talk that way, run. Run. Like the reason we had the Reformation is because God speaks plainly through his word. You don't need a holy man to interpret it for you. It's why people died to get this into a language. You can read it yourself. That's why I say you should own one of these. And don't just own it. You should actually open it and read it. Right? This is the sound doctrine because, again, we live in this culture that Paul talks about in, the, in his other pastoral letter in 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Those seven things. People won't put up with that. Jesus is the only way to God. Pfft. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Pfft. God is a creator God. Pfft. Creating man in his image, male and female. Pfft. See how we can just break all those down in the culture that we live in? Right? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to say. Right? If the teaching in the church sounds like the latest talk show or the latest Hollywood movie, it's probably not sound doctrine. Right? And again, not just the call on elders. It's a lifestyle for the church. And then finally, what we see from this, and we've been alluding to this through the whole message today, is that we are transformed to do good. That we, we are transformed to do good. Like in, in Titus 1.16, he kind of talks about these false teachers that are just bringing people, making this teaching and doing all this stuff that's breaking down households. And Paul's saying, man, we got to stop that. Right? And he says in here, like they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Like the whole point of this life that we're living, this whole point of teaching and, and, and everything that we do is so that we actually do gospel, good, godly work in the world that all of us do. All of us do. Everyone in the church, not just the leaders, are called to this holy living. Right? So that's why we take communion together as, as the reminder that this holy living starts from what Jesus did for us, right? Not because we were religious, 
Not because we kept all the rules and all the commandments, but because God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world because of sin. The world's already condemned in sin. But he came to set us free. And he came to, to speak and to teach and to heal and to show that there is an abundant life in this world and in the world to come. And so if you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus, I would invite you to take communion today. And, and if you've never put your faith in Jesus, well, why not today? <laughs> Maybe today for you can be just to pray before we take communion, just pray a simple prayer. Father, forgive me, a sinner. <laughs> Come into my life. If you pray that today, join us in this. <laughs> So we're going to open this up. This is a representation. Kind of you peel back that first little plastic part to get at the wafer here. And this little wafer represents the bread, represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. That Jesus was willing to die on a cross. That Jesus was come to make a new way to live for God. By allowing sinful men and women to arrest him, to mock him to beat him, and to crucify him, to pay for sin so that we could know freedom. Let's take this in remembrance of him. And then the second little part of the cup, you peel it back. I always encourage you to shake these a little bit because it does settle. Um, you peel it back and it reveals the, the juice. And this juice represents the blood of Jesus. Where it's the, that the Bible says that without the, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That was kind of this Old Testament model of sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. And there was never a sacrifice good enough that could fully pay for the, for the sins of all of humanity. But praise be to God that Jesus does. We don't believe that we're re-sacrificing Jesus every Sunday when we get together, when we take communion like this. This isn't a new sacrifice. This is an act of remembrance of that blood that was spilt so that my sin, so that your sin could be forgiven. Let's take this in remembrance of him. Everyone in the church, whether you just put your faith in Jesus today or you did it 60 years ago, everyone in the church, not just the leaders, are called to this life. Called to this life of doing good. Called to this life of blessing. Called to this life of serving. Called to this life of leading wherever God calls you to lead, to have a ripple effect the people in your family, the people in your work, your friends at school, wherever God sends you. When God transforms you, he uses it to transform others. Everyone called to it, not just leaders, called to holy living. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for the reminders of this, just even in this chapter today, of the call that you place on so many men and women who've chosen to follow Jesus, to be a blessing to others. 
whether it's, it's through an official church leadership title or whether it's just through the way they live their lives of faith. God, I thank you for the men and the women who have blessed me in all the years that I've been following you. I thank you for their love and for their service into my life. I thank you for the effect that they've had on me to follow Jesus and the effect that they've had on me to push through. And so, God, I pray a blessing on all of us as a church family that we'd be men, women, boys, and girls open to this lifestyle, (laughs) open to this life that you call us to. Let's not settle for normal, that everyone else lives this way so I can too. (laughs) Let's settle for a life that is supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of God to make a difference in our families, in our church, in our city, and around the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.